So we are beginning a new series for the next six weeks or so, and it's on the names of God. Names of God in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, how God reveals himself to us by his names. And the goal is this. The goal of this short series before the fall is that we better understand who our God is, because as we better come to grips with who our God is, as he's revealed himself to us in scripture, we'll better understand our place in the world, our place in the church, and specifically, we'll better understand how we can live in light of what God's done as God's people. We, we just simply want to come to grips with who God is and what he's doing on our behalf. And our first sermon this morning, as you'll see it printed in your bulletins, you can open up in your Bibles, is Psalm 91. And um, when Christians think of the most popular Bible text, I think sometimes we think of uh, John 3.16, we think of Psalm 23, maybe the Lord's Prayer, but it might surprise you to know that, that in all the archaeological finds over the last 2,000 years, this is the most frequently found Bible text or portions of Psalm 91 in the world. It's found on walls, on gravestones, on medallions, pendants, and rings. It's found everywhere. This section of Scripture, this is the section that Christians over the ages have looked to for comfort. And I hope to show you why this morning. So let's look at Psalm 91. Let me read it for us from God's Word, focusing in on the names, not simply how he's described or what he does, but on his names. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, the promises in your word, for the names of you in this word. We ask that you would embed them in our hearts and minds, that you would help us to see and know you better. For we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
There's a lot of things we could focus on in this psalm, a lot of things that, that have commentators somewhat confused, but we're not going to talk about those things. We're going to actually just focus in on this idea, that like the ancient Israelites, like the New Testament early church, how Christians, even in those days, found it difficult sometimes to walk through life unscathed, we're going to see, like them, our lives can be full of all sorts of trouble. This journey that we call life, even though we know Jesus Christ, even though we believe in Jesus Christ, even though we are known by him, it can be filled with all sorts of uncertainty. But even in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of some of those difficulties, we can live with significance we can live with confidence, and we can live with hope because we have a God who is more than we can totally comprehend in our human finiteness, but he, this God that we can't totally come to grips with, he loves us more than we could ever imagine. The problem is for most of us, it takes time to come to grips with how big God is and how much we need him. Is a part of life for the Christian is coming to grips with who he is. And we can sometimes be very slow to learn. But God, in his grace, he gives us time, which is this life that we have now. He gives us time to see that we can actually trust him with everything. And really, a part of the life that we're living as Christians is to learn that God is ultimately the only one we have. And that may sound a little bit scary, but God is always more than we need. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Look at the names of God here. Most high. That means he's above all. That means every other supposed deity out there, he is above and beyond. The most high. Almighty God, it's El Shaddai. We sing of that sometimes. It means he's most powerful. He needs nothing. Yahweh, the capital lettered Lord, I am. His name, he is. And then, of course, there is my God. He's our God. He's, he's personal. He's intimate. He's, he's, he's ours. So my wife and I were married relatively young in this day and age, particularly. We were friends in college. We knew each other, but we never dated in college. But after our first real date, which is a, a year or so after school, our first real date, six months later, we were married. Didn't even live in the same town. We really didn't have any idea of what we were doing. <laughs> Josie even says today, I tricked her. <laughs> My father had died when I was young. Josie's father had recently passed away in a tragic accident. I was in the Army at the time I got married. Within weeks of our wedding, the Army sent me on a training mission, and it was a long training mission. 
My wife was left alone. She didn't have any friends. She was hundreds of miles away from her home. She didn't have any friends. She didn't have family. It was a time before social media, so you couldn't even pretend like you had friends. (laughs) She lived in a new place with nothing but our dog, and that dog was a great dog. I think she was the best dog we ever had, but she was still just a dog. It doesn't sound like a big deal now, but I will tell you at 23 and 24 years old, it was a big deal. In her loneliness, in her isolated new situation, no family, no friends, she found herself afraid and anxious. And she memorized Psalm 91. I've never memorized Psalm 91, but I remember my wife memorizing Psalm 91. And I do believe without a shadow of a doubt that 33 years later that I'm standing here with my wife in this particular place is partly due to to her understanding and sharing and living and, and, and helping me live in light of Psalm 91. 33 years later, we are here trying to figure out still how to glorify God in and with our lives. And it hasn't always been easy. There have been really, really good times, and there have been really, really bad times. Let's face it. The world that we live in, the world that we find ourselves in today, it's not what we thought it would be. It's not what we expected when we were young. So I titled this sermon, it, it's, I changed it, by the way. I, I, got, I guess I got Journey to Hope. It's actually Journey to and journey of hope. And I got three points. The hope that we have is God, and the three points are the risk of trusting God, the work of trusting God, and the reward of trusting God. If we think about our lives, our journey that we're on right now, we're going to talk about the risk the work, and the reward. First of all, the risk. The first two verses, we don't always think like this, and I guarantee you when you read it, you didn't think like this, but if you realize how God is described here, if you come to grips with who he is as the most high, almighty Lord, to enter into a relationship with this God, if we're honest, we probably ought to take a step back and say, "Uh uh-oh. Say, whoa. Because we like his power, We like his protection, we like his love, but what often goes unnoticed is the who that is protecting and loving and saving. He's the most high, meaning everything is his, not just just our money, not just our, our children, we belong to him. So often we think that God needs our help, and it is true. He's pleased when we try to serve him and honor him. He's very pleased. But too often, we think our plans are his plans. We think our ways are his ways. I find myself thinking all the time, hey, God, I know you can do anything and everything that you want to do. I know that you're in charge, but let me give you some advice. Let me help you out a little bit. He's the most high, not me. Almighty God, he loves us. 
But he really doesn't need our help because he is all-powerful. In the end, he's going to do exactly what he wants to do. This is the God that we worship. Yahweh, we won't talk too much about this, but it's the covenant name of God. Points us to a relationship that we have governed by unfailing love. And this love is an intimate love and he knows us deeply. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And I don't know about you, that's a little disconcerting. And he's a personal God. This is our God. So the risk here, at least from a human perspective, is this. He can tell us what we need to do and how to do it. In fact, he will make sure we do what he wants us to do. We don't always like that. We love his security. We love his protection. But the danger is we have to give up on our own desires. We have to give up and we have to submit to him because he is most high, God almighty, Lord. The word that theologians like to use is surrender. Nobody likes to surrender. We have to believe even this. We have to believe he still loves us when it doesn't feel that way. And let's be honest. We have to believe he loves us and we look down deep in our hearts and we think about how we live in light of how he would like us to live. We got to realize that mm, maybe we're not as worthy of that love that we need anyway. You realize in a way Josie was right. I tricked her. I didn't mean to. I had no idea at age 24, how selfish I was, how proudful, prideful I was. And I'm still learning. When you're in a committed relationship with another, you learn about the other person, you learn more about yourself. And in these human relationships, you both try to change for the well-being of the relationship. Because as you both try to change in that relationship, you can begin to feel a little bit more secure, a little bit more loved, and you can rest. But when you talk about our relationship with God, he doesn't need to change. We're the ones that have to change. So the risk here, at least from our point of view, is to surrender and believe God is who he says he is. And he is the most high. He is the almighty Lord. The Puritans say it this way, and I've shared it with some of you before. We have to, the risk here is we have to have our minds bent to God's will rather than trying to bend God's will to our minds. The beautiful thing about this is in his goodness, God's goodness and God's grace, God never gives up on us. You realize sometimes our spouses will give up on us. Sometimes our friends will give up on us. But God never gives up on us. He gives us this life. The reason that you're here partly even today is to come to grips better with who he is and how much we need him. But it's risky from our point of view. No one said it would be easy, which leads to the second point. And the second point is the work of trusting. I'll tell you what the work is up front in light of this psalm. The work is to look at our lives in terms of who God is, particularly how he's described here, to think about him as the most high, to think about him as the almighty God, and reframe our reality 
in light of that. Look at what we have in this psalm. You have the snare of the fowler. It means traps are being laid by hunters. We're being hunted. There's deadly pestilence. Say it's COVID. Terror at night, arrows by day, destruction at noontime. That's pretty much all the time. Many people around us are falling, dropping like flies. And then there's this unseen spiritual fight that's not only going on around us, but actually attacking us. It's the lion, the snake, the serpent. Those are metaphors for bad things. The Gospels speak to this spiritual warfare in verses 11 and 12. This is where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And the point here for us this morning is spiritual warfare is real. We have all sorts of things coming at us in this life, both seen and unseen. And what Psalm 91 gives us is a portrait of life in a world infected with sin. There are enemies all around, people, powers, even our own hearts. In other words, there are reasons for us to be afraid and anxious. Fear is a response to present dangers. There are present dangers that some of you are facing today. Anxiety, it's more future-oriented, the realization that danger may come at any time. But this is where the work comes in. This is the work. And let me explain it this way. Some of you I know fairly well, and some of you have experienced great trauma in your life. Real evil has impacted you that no one should have to go through. All you have to do is think about the world and think about the things that happen to people in the world, and it's bad. We have racism, we have sexism, we have bigotry, we have injustice everywhere. Trauma that people have experienced that are sitting near you this morning. Other people may have not had something like that particular trauma, but at some point or other in our lives, we've had bad things happen to us. If you haven't, you will. Some things we've done to ourselves, bad decisions that we've made, and when it gets right down to it, it's not hard to see that this world is much more difficult to live in than we would like. The reason why I know if bad things haven't happened to you, they will, is the fact that we will all, unless Jesus Christ comes back soon, we will all take our last breath and we will all die. It's in these moments during our lives and at the end of our lives, it's in these moments that we are going to be tempted to say, God didn't take care of me. Or God hasn't taken care of me. And the work of trust comes in at these particular moments when we doubt that God is not or is the Most High, the Lord Almighty. Regardless of what we've gone through or going through, God is the Most High. He is the Almighty. He is the Lord. And this is our God. See, the point of the journey of life is to work each and every day as believers to trust him more and more, to remember that he is who he says he is. And we learn this most in our failures, our struggles, in the midst of our fears and our anxieties. In the days when we seem weakest, God is there. I, I want to I say this. It's not an accident that any of you are here this morning. I mean... It, 
and in some sense, this is true. You, you think you got up, that you got dressed, that you had, you had uh, your breakfast, and you got over here in your own way, and you wanted to come to church. That's true. But if God didn't want you here, you wouldn't be here. And even if you didn't want to be here this morning, he brought you here. You might have thought it was your parents, but it was God. If you're a believer here this morning, you're the one being spoken to. Being reminded that God is all these things to you in spite of the way things may seem. And if you're not a believer here this morning, God is calling out to you right now. That there is a personal God who offers his people significance and security and power. And he seeks to know you, love you, and save you. We have to see who God is and reframe our situation and circumstances in light of who he says he is and what he's doing, regardless of the way we feel or think, even see. So after the risk, during the work, there is a reward. Not in the sense that we earn anything. The reward simply comes by God's grace. And I need you to know it's not enough that other people should be around helping you get through difficult times, as important as that is. I think, I think one of the strengths of Redeemer is that we do have people that will get involved in your lives when you're struggling. I can't overstate the importance of that when you're going through difficult things. But I do need you to hear, it's God himself that we need more than anything else. He is the only one who will not let you down. I will let you down as your pastor. Your elders, your deacons, they will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your spouses will let you down. Your children will let you down. Your parents will let you down. We all are not able to give us what we need. God is the only one who will never let us down. And the good news is he's the one who speaks at the end of this passage. Look at verse 14. This is the reward. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Literally, this says, because he is attached to me, I will provide escape. It's like this. We have one little granddaughter, and she's getting to be that age where she can, she can grab hold of you. And when that little girl grabs hold of me, I'm tempted to just grab hold so hard that I, I, I might crush her because I just don't want to let her go. As we hold tight to God, so we become more aware of God's grasp on us, and that is the reward. The reward is there because we were created to be in God's presence, created to be held by him. Because in his presence, there's power, there's protection, there's security, and there's safety, no matter what else may be going on in your life. Because he holds fast to me. I will deliver him with long life. I will satisfy and show him my salvation. It can be summed up like this. We sang it in the songs that we sang. In life, in death, everywhere in between, we belong to the Lord. With our fears, with our anxieties, our good days, our bad days, God is our shelter and we rest in his presence alone. And what's happening in this psalm is the God who speaks in this psalm turns everything on its head. 
his word, who he is. It's reframing our situation, our circumstances, and it reminds us what's behind everything that we see. No matter what's going on in your lives, this psalm and who God is reframes the reality, the circumstances, and helps us see what's going beyond, beyond our eyes. And you know what it is. It ultimately points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this. We, we hear in Christian circles, we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's what this psalm is doing. You see, when the greatest evil was bearing down on the most innocent one, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he held fast to his heavenly Father in love, when he called out to his heavenly Father, he was answered. God was with him when all the evil and sin in the world was bearing down on him. And even though he died on the cross, he was raised to life in honor. You see, this psalm can't be saying bad things won't happen to us as Christians. Because the most terrible thing happened to the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who became man, and he's the only one that did not deserve to die. And he died for me and for you. He is the one who has trampled underfoot the lion, the serpent, and in him, as we are attached to him or united to him, we do as well. Even though we die, our lives will never end, and we too will see God's salvation. See, it's like this. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be anxious. But that's not telling you you're not going to be fearful and you're not going to be anxious. You do realize in the Bible when it says, do not be afraid, that God is telling us that because he knows we're going to be afraid. When Paul says in Philippians to do not be anxious, that means he knows we're going to be anxious. What that means is in our fear and in our anxiety, in the uncertainties of life, we have a Jesus Christ who has trampled the serpent's head, defeated sin and death, and we are saved. And even as we read in the New Testament lesson, nothing can remove us from the love of God. And that is what's real. When we read this psalm through the lens of Jesus Christ, it's not saying bad things won't happen. In fact, it's saying when they do happen, you have a Savior, and He has delivered you. Bad things happen to God's Son, and we, like Christ, we can die to ourselves to live for Him, and that is our salvation. Psalm 91 changes all of life for the Christian when you jump in it and you live in it and you see Jesus Christ. Sure, there's a risk from our perspective, but there's no risk from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, we can give up everything and still have all that we need. Sure, there's a lot of work. It's not working to earn your salvation. It's not working to be somebody that you're not. It's working to to grab hold of Jesus Christ because when you grab hold of him, you become more aware of his grabbing you. That's what it means to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. It's not like he's not already near. We draw near so we can be made aware that he is already there. And the reward is this. I will protect them. God says he will protect you because they know my name. 
the name of Christ, let's pray. Father in heaven, would you bless your people with this reminder of when all things seem to be going poorly, not going our way, in the midst of this world where we don't know what the future holds, would we look to you and know that you are a mighty God, Lord Almighty, and you love us with an everlasting love and you will never let us go. If anybody here doesn't know Jesus, would they turn now and see who you are? Respond accordingly. In the name of Christ, amen.